Hey there, it's Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical Podcast. No, we won't be overthrowing any governments, but we will be learning from radical creatives who rule the world. Welcome back. This is The Radical, and I'm your host, Nick Turzo. Hoping this finds everyone happy and healthy. A little uh, house cleaning first. Since this really is a, a music podcast, I do apologize that we do not play any music. But as I mentioned before, due to the fear of RIAA takedown notices, um, we prefer to just stay clear of playing music. But what we have done is just launched the Radical Playlist on Spotify, which will contain songs from our guests and also some of the music they have recommended on this podcast. So head over to Spotify and search for The Radical, and hopefully uh, this playlist will populate. So on to my next guest for this show, the metal god Rob Helford of Judas Priest joins me today to chat about his new memoir, Confess. Due to this being in the middle of a book promotion, uh, this is a shorter conversation than most that we do here, but I promise I will do everything to get him back here for a deeper dive into his career and his music. Rob and his band, Judas Priest, have sold an estimated 50 million records, toured to millions of fans, and have defined heavy metal for nearly five decades. In this conversation, Rob and I discuss his struggle with sexuality, his attempted suicide, handcuffing Andy Warhol, and if that's not enough, for listeners under 40, um, Judas Priest is perhaps the only band ever to be tried in court for being liable for two suicides and deaths. This is a fast and furious interview, but Rob remains the epitome of grace and generosity. Also, for anyone who wants to see what your handsome host looks like, um, this will be the first interview um, that we actually post video to our channel on YouTube. So uh, go to YouTube, find this conversation. Uh, it's The Radical uh, on YouTube also. So up next, my chat with Rob Helford. Hey, Rob, thanks for joining me today. I'm really grateful. Hey, Nick, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? All right. I'm well, thank you, Rob. As well as anyone can be in a uh, interesting time in our lives. That's exactly what I was lives. trying to get to, but my brain wouldn't work with this horrible pandemic. Yeah, this is a this is the way we're uh, we're making it uh, we're making it happen. Is is talking to our friends, our podcasts, our zooms, texting. It's true. Whatever, whatever. It's, true. We it's, have, the, it's the sanity in this whole thing yeah, right now. We so. gotta we gotta stay in touch. You oh. know, we gotta keep the communication channels open yes. no matter what well listen i know how slammed you are um i'm very excited to have you here talking about this yes confess oh it's fantastic i binged it uh, last sunday in one setting oh you so, did yeah i wish i could do that here's the thing with me nick um I'm, you see you know how, how people binge on netflix i cannot do that with well, reading I, you can't do that or on I netflix i know but i can't do that with reading either either I, I like to read like a chapter or two and get, you know, oh, this is great. And then I force myself to close the book, you know. So I, I, I give you a hail, a hails and a shout out for, for being able to roar through the whole thing in one go. 
Well, it's, um, you know, I think us having a relationship for a period of time, you know, makes you more dive into this and more enthusiastic. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. I can't wait to fill in all the blanks here. So what, <laughs> um, what led to you kind of coming to the point that I want to write a book and write the autobiography? And uh, what was the timing of that for you? And, yeah, it is all about timing, isn't it? Because you can't write a book like this when you're 20. You might be able to write a book like this when you're 40. But as I slowly inch toward my 70th decade, which I can't wait to kick off, um, it's all about the timing and feeling that you have enough to say. Um, you know, a lot of music autobiographies are filled with the obvious. And that's not to be dismissive of some of these great books that are out there. Um, but this is the reason why we called it Confess. I really wanted to just pour everything out of me, you know, literally strip myself down to the metal skeleton because uh, that's what I feel um, should be the true essence of this memoir. And what better way to uh, send that message out than with the simple word confess. Yeah. And you're remarkably uh, transparent in this. Uh, that's for sure. And the interesting part is, you know, I think a lot of people have been focusing more on the salacious stuff, you know, which maybe I'm a gay man, you're a gay man for us. It's less interesting. Maybe. I mean, the oh, thing right. I got in this was the theme of, you know, all the pain you went through Yes, and your humility. I mean, the empathy, I had for you after reading this book is off the hook. I mean, it's so wonderful. I mean, you're, it comes across. Um, you know, that thing about sex and drugs and rock and roll. Yes. It's, it's got that. That was never an intent on my part or the publishers. I just want to speak that out, but let's face it. We all have sex and we do. The, the way that I, the, the way that I had sex, in some cases, was life-threatening. When I caught hepatitis from that incident in Newcastle, um, just because I was desperate for some physical human contact, the same thing when I got arrested in, in Venice Beach, I was so desperate to have that physical intimate contact because I didn't know how else to do it. And then, of course, the, the sexual abuse in, in my early teen years Man, I'm, I'm just like a ball of sexual dysfunctionality in that respect. And I think that, I think that sharing that side of my life, um, maybe it has value. Maybe it's, it's, it's a case of um, some of the readers going, that's happened to me, or I know, I know that's happened to a best friend or whatever. It's the, the, the humanity in the book was vital for us to put across. Boy, did you ever. I mean, I was touched. I mean, I actually cried at the part where you talked about not being able to walk down like your parents called a sack for a while after their passing. Yes. I was so touched by that. I just, yes. I mean, it's still, as you can see. Yeah. Well, one of my, one of my best friends who I call Patsy after Patsy Stone in, in Abfab. Yes. Uh, <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> I nickname all my, my gay friends with a, you know, these kinds of names are good. Patsy. His name's Gary, beautiful guy, Gary. And, uh, he was going nuts for the book. He, 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 he pre-ordered it right away. And he, and he, oh my God, it's on the way, it's on the way. Oh my God, it's here, look. Sending me pictures on his phone. And, and then he, he binged, he read it. It took him a couple of days because he has to look after his partner. 
And, um, and he said the same thing. He goes, oh my God, I've been here. I've been laughing. I've got through two boxes of Kleenex. You know, I was shocked. I was giggling. It was a little bit naughty. So um, those, are two, those are two beautiful things to get back to me feedback-wise from yourself and, and, and Patsy and, and a lot of other people. Are, they're saying that, that the way the book goes so deeply emotionally is um, making it connect in a strong way. Yeah, well, we all, you know, look, we all have our own contradictions in life. Yours felt like a little wider than most people's um, because I see in you this really grounded guy from the Midlands who still is yeah. really connected to that. And then you're this powerful, uh, in-control person in front of 25,000 people. Um, and then you can't find happiness for almost 25 years or 20 decades as an adult. I, the contradictions of it all, it's such a swirl of things, man. It is a ride. It is. It is. And let's face it, again, I'm not unique. We all search and, you know, that thing is you, you, you can't, you, you can't, uh, lo love will find you. Eventually love will find you. It, it's going to happen. Sometimes it takes forever, but it, it will happen. There is always the one. And my, my one's been Thomas for 25, 25 years or Congratulations. Or, two, or 250 years. <laughs> How long have we been together? Is it 200 years? <laughs> Is that from his um, view or your view? Who's saying 250 years? Both of us. <laughs> Finish the dishes. You've been watching the dishes for 200 years. Um, We've got we to gotta watch the Umbrella Academy. Hurry up. I'm still falling asleep here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, um, that whole story of, of finding someone to love and um, the uh, dysfunctional ways that I went about it because I didn't know any better um, are, are in this book. You know, I had a number of failed relationships that, um, that were essentially um, destined to become difficult. But again, you know, I know so many of my friends who've been through the same set of circumstances until you find the, the one in your life. Right. You know, Bob Mould, I had, uh, we spoke last week, um, you know, we were kind of discussing our having to grapple with the stuff being kind of in the rock and roll game in the eighties and the early nineties for me. Um, and he kind of said to me, look, I think we had it easier than what Rob went through in the seventies and look at what Rob Halford went through. Um, and that was the seventies. Um, so we had it easy guys like yeah. that kind of paved the way a little bit for the rest of us. Yeah, seventies were, and, and and some of the eighties were, were mm. very, very difficult times. Still is now to some extent for those of us that, you know, are still trapped for right. for, for whatever reason. It takes a lot of strength to to kick that closet door down. Doesn't matter it does. how you well, look at it. In simple truth, that's a fact. Yeah. Well, and the homophobia is still out there, right? I mean, I just you have a residence in San Diego, right? I mean, I just saw that about not so the, much now. I, I've not moved, so much. I've, yeah, I, I've I've. Uh, I'm pretty much now between Phoenix and my my hometown in Warsaw. But uh, yeah, that homophobia thing is nuts. I was just reading today a report that uh, all of us in the LGBTQ community are four times more uh, at risk for violent crime than any other minority. And that's shocking. It doesn't surprise wow. me. And I'm glad it's gone out today on, on a very uh, comprehensive report. A legitimate, uh, uh, well 
discussed and dissected report. So there's your homophobia right there. I mean, and you set yourself up for a little bit of that, right? You were, I mean, that's a very dangerous thing, you know, in the seventies with the cruising and the, I, I did. Mean, yeah. I mean, I did. absolutely crazy dangerous. Uh, so and the other thing I really wanted to touch upon, you know, cause the highs and lows for you have been great. I mean, we'll get to some of your maybe celebrity encounters at some point here, but you know, I want to talk when I kind of met you was during the trial um, in Reno and, you know, after you coming from, you know, your attempted suicide um, in the eighties. Yeah. And then the roll into this tragedy where two young men, whatever, I can't even say it. it's so emotional, uh, destroyed their lives. And then to have you and your bandmates dragged into that. Yeah. What was that like for you? And how long did that trial last? I don't remember. Lasted about a month, four weeks, Monday to Friday. We had the weekends off. We were in some, um, uh, remote community cabin type of things away from Reno because the paparazzi were everywhere. And, um, so this to me was just this incredible um, display of, of, of love between all of us in the band. We never talked about it because that's the kind of guys we are from the generation that we're from. But that's what got us through it. That's what got us, got us through it, loving each other and caring for each other and supporting each other and being extremely focused on the elements of the trial. Um, we've said it before, and I'll never stop saying it, that uh, as, as you did, Nick, those two beautiful heavy metal uh, guys took their lives, um, nothing to do with metal. They loved their heavy metal music. They, they were just totally um, locked into that experience. It gave them a lot, a, a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of connectivity. It was who they were as persons with the music that they loved, but the the uh, the horrible side issues of what were what was going on with their family, plus the state of mind, which was was messed up terribly that particular fateful day with um, alcohol and and and, uh, and other chemicals. That it was, it was it was like a ticking time bomb. But yeah, we were literally fighting for our lives, weren't we? We were accused, firstly, of, of killing somebody. I'm oh, God, can you, how do you cope with that? How do you cope with that, you know? But we did, and um, it, was, uh, it was an incredibly uh, strong, tough part of the life of Judas Priest that I would like to say we got through unscathed, but we didn't because we all carry that with us, as do a lot of other people. Uh, and it's it, it because of the con the con context of the story, uh, it's very important to have it included in confess. Yes, agreed. So my, I think I came up um, maybe on painkiller. Did you you guys did a concert tour there in Reno for them, or we did a you did a show for the Reno community, right? The people that supported you through the trial. Um, and I remember coming up for that, and that was pretty emotional. Um, yes. Yeah, we Everyone. went back to Reno some years later yeah. um, as just a validation of us all getting through that and still being together and still not having any hate, you know, because hate is a horribly destructive, corrosive, mean, nasty, terrible thing to have to go through. It doesn't, it doesn't have any value whatsoever. It's just pure negativity. So for us to go back and to celebrate 
was uh, was important. Right. And can you talk a little bit about in the book? Um, and I guess this is during a period of time when I was around you. Is this, you know, needing to explore, you know, other mediums for you? Not really other mediums, but your own voice, um, a solo career. Um, you know, and I think you and I started that a little bit when we worked on the track for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, you know, Light Comes Out of Black with Pantera, yeah. which is another tragedy yeah. in itself, yeah. Dimebag. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, what a path that was for you. I mean, you had success as that and then to kind of come back to the band and not having the communication with the band for that long a period. I think it's important to see what you have internally if you're a creative person. And you've been sharing that creativity with some other great people, but you still have a yearning to step away from a collective group of creative people and basically see what you can do yourself. It's not, it's not about, oh, look what I can do, me, me, me. It, I think it's an important uh, part of self-discovery. So when I put together that first record that ended up being the Fight album, the War of Words record, I... I I did most of it here in the house in, in Phoenix. I, I'd finished it off in, in Marina Del Rey when I used to live up there. And um, when it was completed, all the demos, and now I've got to put a band together. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a great feeling. There's nothing, there's nothing bad about feeling good about yourself. There's nothing no. bad about celebrating your own accomplishments. So that's what I did, you know. And then, of course... We, we had the band and then we had the follow-up record, which, is, which again was more of a collaboration because I'm not going to ignore a great idea, right? Right. So, and then there was the wonderful opportunity with Trent and Bob Marlette and Johnny Five and, Rick, and, and uh, Ray Bogleby from Skinny Puppy to put the... I love that you did that. Yeah, to put the two record together. And the, the great video that, that, that um, the, the label wanted to be a full-on porno and I'm like, well, if we'd have done that, it would have never have got never have got watched or played. But that's exactly why we wanted to do it. What is the logic behind that? And my great friend Shishi Shishi uh, Larue put Larue, it together, yeah, yeah uh, as director and screaming or screaming this way and screaming that way and put it over there and stand like that and bend over like here and all. That. It was wonderful to watch Shishi, my dear dear friend Larry, oh. and uh, and so um, yeah. Uh, then I'm in a band called Halford, which builds a bridge back to Judas Priest, and that took about 10 years of my life. Yes. Wow. And the funny part is now you, you come back, you know, and I love this for us guys that are kind of in our third chapters. Um, and you're potent again. I mean, as a band, you're like potent. You're back in it. You're doing great work. And it's such a testament to, you know, this youth, ism and it's ageism um that you guys continue to do great work it's fantastic what what that qualified was the chemistry that exists with between creative people sometimes the the greatest things can only happen when you put these types of people together who's on the drums who's singing who's playing bass guitar all that is just part of the big story of making um something very unique and special happen. And that's what we did when, when I returned and we made that um, Angel of Retribution album, which was kind of the reunion record. But, but, it, but uh, 
that's what it is, you know. And I've always said, like, bands are like families, and every family has like a bit of a dispute here and there. And I'm, oh, you'll never see me again. You know, <laughs> how dare you right. talk to me like that? Door slams, and you don't see each other for a year or two. That's again, that's normal humanity there. But uh, from the creative sense, yeah, this was just a beautiful time uh, for Priest at that moment. Yeah, well, you guys all shared such common bonds and. You know, I think with your sister and Ian, and I mean, you guys were basically family in almost a, li- a literal sense. Um, mm-hmm. That's great. Um, so tell me some of these. I got to listen. I got to hear this Andy Warhol story. Can you oh, tell okay. me this, please? Oh, I got to hear talk this. About, I, 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 God, okay, you've asked for it. I don't know how long it's going to take. I'll try and condense it because I'm like, I'm, I'm as precise with my stories as I am with my music. <laughs> Priest has done a great show at the Palladium in New York City. The label wants us to do like a showcase after show for industry people. Go to this little tiny club. I forget what part of town it was in. But um, we're there and, you know, the room is packed. And just about a hundred so people. And um, we're, we're performing. We're, we're doing like a 20-minute set, 30-minute set. And then there's a, there's, a, there's a guy walking around in front of us with a little Olympus camera. And they go, God, is that Andy Warhol? Can't be Andy Warhol. Sure enough, it's Andy Warhol. So we do the show and Andy's wandering around afterwards and, and he just wanders into the, into the dressing room backstage. And Andy was very, um, was very socially awkward for communication. But I, I just latched on to him. I'm like, oh, my God, Andy, I can't believe it's, it's, it's you. You know, oh, my God, it's so great. I'm, I'm such a big fan of your work. And, and Andy would always limit his, limit his vocabulary. All he would say most most times was oh really like, oh yeah i'm a massive fan i, I love the, the i love this and that and, you know, I, that you've done he goes oh really you know so i'm having this kind of one-sided conversation with andy and he's looking at my stuff the crazy thing about that night i don't know whether you've seen this this thing that i was wearing nick i was wearing this tom of finland t-shirt google it google rob halford and andy warhol this is my Really vulgar Tom of Finland, not vulgar, beautifully artistic T-shirt. And I've got more of my stuff on and Andy's by me looking at me type of thing. But uh, he noticed I got a set of handcuffs. So I I take them off and I'm playing with them and I put a handcuff around his wrist and I put a handcuff around my wrist. And he's looking and I go, I've got some bad news for you, Andy. He goes, oh, really? I go, yeah, I've lost the key. I've lost the key for the handcuffs. Oh, really? (laughs) I hadn't. I hadn't. I took the handcuffs on. So we just, uh, we just hung out together. And for, I don't know how this happened. I don't, I, I, it's one part of the book that I can't really pinpoint. But for some unknown reason, at the end of the night, me and Andy Warhol end up t- together in the back of a yellow cab to go to Studio 54. So we Why not? Studio 54, and there's Steve, the owner. Like, you can come in, but you can't. You can come in, but you can't. And he sees me and Andy and he unhooks the, the velvet rope. On that cab ride, we never said a word. We just stood there. And I kind of side, side glance, <laughs> side shade. Andy Warhol, I'm sitting in the cab with Andy Warhol. And, uh, <laughs> and then we go to Studio 54. We both go in. He goes left. I go right. And that was the, that was the end of the story. Amazing. I had a great night at Studio 54. Uh, only in New York. Amazing. Only in New York. Only in New York. So. Yes. Um, how did you kind of put the book together? I mean, did, are you a journaler? I mean, I know you're no. a great lyric writer. You don't journal. I mean, this is just memory. No, no I don't journal. Um, 
Ian Gittings is the, without this, without my friend Ian Gittings, who's now become a friend for life, my BFF, my bestie, this book would, ne would never have happened. I, I found out when we started to write the book that Ian had approached my management like seven or 10 years prior, saying, look, if ever Rob is going to do a book, would you please give me first dibs? Because I just feel that we could make something special happen. And it turns out that Ian is from my neck of the woods, from my very neighborhood, you know, with that spitting distance of each other. His mom, bless her soul, still lives a walk away. So Ian would come up from London and he would sleep at his, at his mom's. He would leave my place and he'd walk over to his mom's 20 minutes away. How crazy is that? But what that was for me, uh, Nick, was uh, a comfort zone, a comfort factor. Uh, he's not the same age as me. He's, he's uh, I don't know exactly how old he is. He's in his 40s, maybe 50s. But because he walked the same streets as me and because he has the same internal makeup as me in some of the early starts of his life, that made me very, very comfortable with him. And uh, he was just a... He was just the master of taking you from the 50s on Monday to the 2000s the next day and then back to the 70s the next day. It wasn't a time, not today, today we're here and then the next day we're a day later. It was all over the place. He knows how to bring those things out uh, from the persons that he's working with. So um, that 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 level of communication and openness and, and honesty was vital for this book. Right. And I mean, do you think in your journey, um, you know, when you were working in the theater there, um, which would have been maybe an easier path of meeting like-minded people, you know, with your sexuality, you know, and then you go off in this totally alien world to that in the seventies, I think, you know, even though whatever Elton was around, Bowie, you know, was playing with things. Freddie was around who, you knew, um, I mean, you could have, I would have been a different book. <laughs> probably, probably. That's a great story about me, about two, two guys that worked in the theater. One, one was, one was the drag queen and he, and she gave me the crabs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got that in the, you had it like your dad found out that didn't you say that? <laughs> this queen gave me crabs. Uh, yeah, I had a wonderful time at the theatre, but I was still a very, very young teenager. You yes. know, I was still figuring things out. I wasn't even a full adult yet. So um, the, the theatre definitely opened my, my eyes, that's for sure. Um, and you're right, Nick, maybe if I'd have stayed there, you know, uh, you might Not be that I wish about, that on the world. Have, yeah, but you might have been talking to Gal, Gandalf instead. That's Surreal. true. That's true. <laughs> it's true. Oh, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, so I just like, you know, your transparency in this and your humility in this, the way you present this to us all. Um, you know, I read the Elton John autobiography, you know, and there's some similarities, right, to what was going on. But I just... There's not the empathy there for him as a person, is there isn't yours. And I mean, I, I worship Elton John, don't get me wrong. Um, and I don't want to start a beef, but I, I, the way you, I'm just saying, the way your humility and the grounding you have, you know, here you are this nomad that has to tour all year and you live in houses for 30 or 40 years, your personal homes. And I find that, again, just fascinating, the two sides of you. And 
how you manage that. Thank you, Nick. Um, yeah, th- this is just this is just a, like a, again a lot of us in in the entertainment world. What you see on a stage is not everything, you know. And um, and as I've said again, the 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 other reason that that I wanted to uh, this book out was it's coming from the factual place it's not like a bit of bit of stuff here and a bit of stuff there and it's the unauthorized biography you know um but yeah that's just that's just who i am that's who i am and uh, when i was doing the audio for the book even i'd get to a part and i go god who like who is this guy <laughs> he did what <laughs> you know, oh that's me oh you did that oh, i did like split personality yeah 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 oh, well Look, I know you're on a tight schedule here. I mean, I really want to have you back at some time to talk mostly about music and creativity we will. and we how you've sustained that for, you know, almost five decades now. We will. Um, but I also want to thank you as when I worked with you, you were um, the kindest, uh, most generous person. You had me in your home. Um, and I'll always be grateful for those couple of years that I was around you. It uh, defined a lot of my life for me. So thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'll give you a big virtual hug of Thank Zoom. Thank you. Back at you. Big virtual <laughs> hugging Zooms. Look after yourself. Yes, Stay sir. safe. And I wish you nothing but success with this book. It's fantastic. Everyone has to buy it. So. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, Rob. everybody. Thanks for listening. Be safe, Rob. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Well, that's our show this week. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe even learned a little something. To follow what's going on with this podcast, you can go to theradicalpod.com. Theradicalpod.com. You'll find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat. Also, I would be honored if you'd subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next week.